hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast with the rhythm section, with me Ashley Walker. And me, Charlie Smith. Uh, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking to a friend of the podcast and um, legendary bass player, session player, uh, Steve Pierce. So, Steve, thanks for speaking to us. You're very welcome. I don't know about a legend. Legend <laughs> in my own lunchtime, and it is lunchtime. <laughs> it is lunchtime. <laughs> it certainly is. But yeah, great to have you on, mate. And um, yeah, just start us off. Just give us a a brief list of some of the folks you've uh, you've worked with over the years. Oh uh, well, I'll, I mean, well, yeah. It's best if I just over the last year I've done a. I, I basically I do I play bass wherever I'm told to go and happy to do so in all sorts of different genres and uh mediums um this last year i did a few quite a few films film scores uh and ended up doing some nice tracks with florence and the machine which is was was really a great thing to do last year me and ian thomas um that was a great we worked with florence a few times uh for a film we did the end titles she wrote the end titles with nick Brittell for the film cruella which i did the soundtrack to as well um so that's where we met her and then she booked us to do some tracks on her album that came out last year and just before christmas we did um a track for a american tv series and i'm not allowed to tell you what it is <laughs> as is usual uh <laughs> but that will come out in the new year. It's a big American TV series. Um, I didn't know of it before, but I'll definitely be watching it now if we can get it. Anyway, I can't tell you about <laughs> that. But that was good fun. Um, yeah, and just the usual things, really. Um, I mean, it might be better if you just, if you're interested, you, Charlie, you know kind of more about what I've done there than I can remember, <laughs> I guess. So. <laughs> Anything you want to ask, ask me anything you like. I mean, any of the artists that I've worked for, I don't know, Tom Jones, I don't know, anybody. Yeah. Anyone. I mean, let's sort of start at the at the beginning. So, okay. you know, um, you know, getting into the getting into the business. I know, um, I think we spoke about it before. I think your dad was a jazz piano player. We are, we are sons of, aren't we? I was going to say, I think all three of us are sons of. I mean, oh, no, how great. Yeah, that's great. Ash's, Ash's dad is a, a, a great trumpet player, Steve. Oh, Ball, okay. Brilliant. Um, uh, uh, who also runs his own big band, which I know your dad did. He did indeed. Yes, he did. Yeah, well, that's um, a great thing. We're, I, I love meeting other sons of. Uh, there's plenty of us around, and um, it's a unique position to come into the music business in. Um, you get some somewhat of a leg up on some very good things i mean my dad uh, i didn't go to college so um uh, i learned as i earned i was out I, my dad bought me a bass guitar when i was 14 and i was doing gigs dances dinner dances and weddings with him by the time i was 15 so i've never had a proper job as they say <laughs> uh, and it was an incredible experience uh learning experience because i taught I taught myself really, although my dad wrote, bless him, wrote out 600 tunes, uh, pop tunes, standards, some in a little book, some in uh, full scores, which got me kind of read, sight reading stuff. Um, and also using my ears, because when you did function gigs in those days, uh, there was no there was uh, no kind of charts, there were pop charts, but you were expected to know 
the last hundred years of the jazz America, great American songbook, all the bossa novas. Uh, people would just signal with a B flat, two flats. Uh, I don't know any of your uh, <laughs> viewers out there know what that means. I don't know whether they teach that in college, but you would literally go start playing uh, Girl from Ipanema, one flat, that's in F. And then the trumpet player would go like with the go with the next one is Desfernado in B flat. And you'd just do like 25 minutes of bosses um, for people to uh, smooch around to or, or eat dinner to. So it was incredible ear training for me. Um, the, the playing the pop music with old boys on on drums and stuff was not so much <laughs> not so good because they didn't they didn't really did I spoke about talked about this to someone another son of the other day and we were, were laughing about I was so keen like 15 16 listening to the pop music of the day and all the guys all the old guys on gigs that I did uh who were all my dad's age or and older much older mm. they hated pop music they really hated it and so that was uh it was uh, a bit of a struggle really but i did my my apprenticeship in that that world and i got more and more reading gigs and in those days you did you know if you did a if you did a a, a dance dance band gig or a wedding there might be there might be a cabaret uh booked and you'd go in the, the band room in the break and he'd talk through his music and you go on and sight read it. So it was an amazing experience really. Um, yeah. And then I've, yeah. I've progressed on from there. With, with Ash especially, especially, you know, your dad leads a big band and I think that was one of your first, yeah. First sort of big jobs. Well, that was going to that was going to be my uh, question to Steve really was, I wonder for me when I started to play with my dad and his band, it was like you said a leg up in some ways because then I remember him saying to me that um, yeah, I know you're in the band because you're good enough, but you've now got to show everybody else that you're not just in it because you're my son. And I wondered, sure, um, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. If you ever had any nerves or had to sort of obviously sit down and woodshed and make sure you were kind of on par with those guys in your day well time. i mean from the time the time i started playing with my dad i was 15 years old i knew absolutely nothing at all uh i, I met some amazing older musicians who were because i was so young uh and i was reasonable and they and and they all loved my dad as well so i had, I had amazing tips from drummers and other musicians about how to play and, and they just have a quiet word or whatever. And they were very, very kind to me. So, and that, that was amazing. But going back to your question, I never wanted to be just good as a young man. You know, I didn't want to be just a good young one. I wanted to be good. Mm. I wanted to stand shoulder to shoulder. And so, and I loved working with older musicians and yeah, I mean, it, what an education. Cause I mean, so, so I, I said to somebody the other day, that uh, you know, some of the drummers I played with, old boys who had their own unique way, unique version of time. Uh, you uh, you you learned what was wrong as well as what was really good. I and mean, when a good drummer came along, you were like thrilled. And I mean, the great great thing about my dad was, we were such music fans. We used to travel together to gigs all over the place. But because it was long before I could even uh, I was allowed to drive. Um, and we'd have a we had a joint record collection at home, and uh, so we were listening to some pretty hip stuff. And we were he was writing little drum parts out because he had a little trio 
that and we had loads of different drummers all uh, who were ama amazing with me um and i did i learned and a great deal for that one for example was alan ganley um, if you remember alan ganley the jazz drummer a uh, very famous jazz drummer he he went to live in bermuda for a long time and then he came back and he had no work and robin jones who was the drummer with my dad's trio uh put him in as a dep and i was 16 and uh the night the that week i bought a jim hall album with uh ron carter and alan ganley on drums because they jim hall and and, and alan ganley were tennis uh partners in bermuda and I, here i am 16 years old and i bought an album with ron carter on uh, uh and jim hall and alan ganley's on drums and i i was i was fairly scared really i guess <laughs> But he was so beautiful with me. He said, you've got really good time, man. You keep at it. Keep at it. And he was so encouraging. And uh, so I did meet some some really good people. I mean, musicians on the whole are pretty cool, aren't they? You know, um, there were one or two who were not really not very nice. And were, I was I came home despondent a couple of times. But I mean, you need those you need those knocks, you know, because it's not for the faint hearted our game, is it? Yeah. Let's face no. it. You know what I mean? Well, that's it. And, and, you know, as you said, and I think the same for me, I get to still now, me and, you know, I, I might not be a son of, but a grandson of. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, uh, me and my granddad still drive to gigs together all the time, you know, yeah. off down Fantastic. to Torquay or somewhere. And we will, we'll, we'll have all sorts of stuff. Yeah. You know, he'll say, oh, pull up this, you know, obscure funk album from the 70s and we'll put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, great, you know. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the one that we we found uh, that, that he came, he brought back up recently. Um, I can't think of the name of the band, but the the album was called Strutting. Oh yeah, I'm uh, sure you know though, Doctor Strut. Right. That was it. it was Doctor Strut. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And and we had to listen to the to that album in the car. That was great. You know, just yeah, you know, yeah. stuff that yeah. you nowadays you would never otherwise come across without someone going listen to this that's right well i guess it was the same i mean i met i met i've met musicians all through my life who've been into a certain sort of music i mean i still do it today but if i ever i see i don't know john paracelli we invariably say what you listen to what you listen to and i i just got um i did a gig with his little quartet with Mark Lockhart, and they played a, a Kenny Wheeler tune, and I said, "What's that tune?" And they went, "Oh, it's on an album called uh, Flutter by Butterfly, um, which I got last week, and it's just a great, great album." I, you, I mean, you can't buy everything, can you? But it, it was, it's, it's uh, a, a lovely thing to find all these years later. So I'm still smooth snooping around trying to find. Uh, uh, new things to listen to, I, but uh, invariably it's old stuff to listen to. But I mean, you learn that way. That's that's the best college of all, isn't it? Listening. Well, to yeah. Um, funny enough, the last time I saw Neil Wilkinson, yeah, yeah. and I was chatting to, to Neil about it, and he said he'd done exactly the same with that album. He, you know, he knew he, he had it in his record collection and found it years later, and went, uh, did, you know, hadn't even picked up on how great it was. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing. I mean, I've got my very first vinyl record. <laughs> Uh, uh, from when I bought it, and I've got all my. I inherit when my dad died. I inf inherited all of his vinyl, so I've got vinyl going back to like 1952. His very first Stan Kenton 10 inch, wow. uh, and I'm I'm still finding absolute gems, you know. And I and and just to 
go on from what you said. I've got albums that I, I listen to once, but with the wrong ears, or two young years or something, and you come back and go, wow, that, that was good. That's good, you know. Mm. And they, they become sort of, I don't know, they bed in. You, you've got the proper ears to listen to them now, you know. Yeah, you've got the appreciation that you maybe didn't have the yeah. first time. Um, but yeah, it's there's, absolutely... there's a few that I thought were brilliant, and I go back to now, and I don't like them very much. <laughs> Actually, maybe some sort of fusion things that I'm not very keen on the, the, now, you know. But I was then. Yeah, it was. It was what was what was the thing at the time. Yeah. To to be to be listening to and and to you know maybe yeah, but you got the thing is you can't. You it's your doing. journey, isn't it? You can't. You can't possibly listen to everything. Uh, so recently I've been doing uh, depping for a guy called Pat Davey in uh, Patrick uh, Hayes' Crusaders band. They do it, uh, the late show at Ronnie's, playing all Crusaders tunes. Now, the Crusaders weren't in my orbit when I was growing up, um, but um, I've rediscovered, I've discovered this music all this late, time later, and, and it, it's, got, it's got validity, you know. Uh, it's just that when the Crusaders were out, I was into Herbie Hancock and much more sort of gritty funk. It, you know, you know what I mean. I, I, yeah. I kind of listened to Lee Rett Rittenour and all that. I've got all those Captain's Fingers and all that. Uh, but my my journey went down the sort of chick career, Herbie Hancock, Headhunters thing, uh, and then into soul really. Um, and I can attribute it to to the, I can I know the person this person told me hit me to that record hit that person hit me to that record, you know, if you've got ears if your ears are open you're you're going to amass and it's never been easier these days to amass an amazing record collection. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, you know, even when for the CDs first came out, they were like fourteen fifteen quid a pop, you know. So you couldn't now you just go online and what what have you. It's 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 what not to buy really yeah. is, is the difficulty isn't it you know you can you can almost dial anything up at the click of a few buttons now i mean yeah i'm of i'm of that kind of age where when i was young it was still cds cds yeah. were still the thing in fact i've got stacks of them behind me i know nothing near what uh, what you've got steve i've seen your <laughs> your collection of uh of amassed works but yes um, yeah, yeah yeah well i like it man it's i mean it, it, you shouldn't have uh you, it, it, material things are maybe a bad thing, but I'm, I look at it and I, I come down in the morning and look at it and go, fantastic. I love it. It's an amazing thing to have, you know, and, I, and to dig out uh, records that me and my dad listened to is, is my history there. You know, um, I play uh, before I go out the house, I, I, I walk up to the, my CD player and go, go like that. Um, and pick out two CDs to listen to. Otherwise, I would never do it, you know. And I and I leave them all in a massive pile. <laughs> so otherwise, I would never get round to listening to them all. You know what I mean? And then it takes me like half a day to put everything back in alphabetical order. But that's the fun of it. I've got I've got quite a good catalogue of the stuff that I played on because I was I always wanted to be a studio musician, and maybe it's like um, sort of rampant ego. But I love hearing myself coming back from the speakers. I love recording myself. It's it's my favourite bit to be in the studio, and I've I've kept things from right from. In fact, my very very first recording session was an album for a cabaret artist, and uh, my dad was on uh, piano. Uh, I was seven se seventeen, I think, 
God, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing at all. I was so scared, I didn't know what a DI box or anything was. But uh, I had, we did a whole album in in a day. It was one of those things that he, the guy, would sell at his uh, gigs, and I've still, I've still got a copy of it. And I laughed in the same way. I put it on because I played with it, exclusively played with a pick. Then I didn't play with my fingers, so there. And I had a jazz bass. Uh, yeah, you know, it's good to go back. I mean, I'll go back and horrify myself on some of the things I've done, and and I forgive myself though because it, it's not just youthful exuberance. It's actually trying to make something happen that perhaps wasn't happening in the studio, you know, <laughs> trying to add something to things. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, well, like you said actually, there, um, I've heard in other interviews you've said about from an early age you knew you wanted to be in the studio and like you yeah, said there, listening yeah. back to yourself. What would you say, are you more comfortable in the studio than on stage or is it different now than when you were younger? Oh, uh, well, I, no, well I, I wouldn't say I'm... Um, I love all of it. I, I mean, there are there are people that I know that only go. They don't do gigs anymore. Uh, they kind of stopped. But I, there's nothing I like more than putting my amp in my car and driving to a gig. Uh, it's it that's a glorious thing, and that feeds your play. You're playing feeds your playing in a different way than just being in a studio. You know, so I I, I I'm com equally comfortable and enthusiastic about being anywhere really you know i mean I, i've this the month that's just gone december november december is always really busy for me um i did jazz voice with guy barker which is double bass and bass guitar playing ridiculous di different genres you know for the tip for a tv show then I did, uh, I played with a BBC concert orchestra, which is another whole vibe playing with an orchestra. Um, then I did the Royal Variety Show where I, you know, there's classical music, there's jugglers, there's Gregory Porter wandering on, you know, it's, I mean, it's a, I, I did look back and it, it was a crazy month, actually, completely crazy month, because I ended up doing a, quite a bit of work with the big band at Ronnie's, which I'm a member of, have been for over 15 years. Uh, and some late shows doing that Crusaders thing, little funk gigs. So I love all of that. I, you know, if I if I don't do one or the other, I I kind of get itchy feet. I like to. I've always liked to do different everything really. You know, yeah. You know, you probably by the sounds of it, you got started sort of reading from day one with yeah. uh, with with playing. You know, and. I think it's probably safe to say that set the course of, of your career, you know. Well, my dad bought me, when he bought me a bass guitar, there was this wonderful box and I took, opened it up and there was the the Mel Bay how to play bass guitar method in in there. And so it, and I wish I still had it. I don't have it. Um, opened it up. So, and for the very first time I put a bass around my neck, there was the B flat on the page. And there was so you learn. I learned immediately to, to come off the page through my brain, down out through my fingers, on into the bass. Now a lot of people have to catch up like that, and it's very difficult to do mm. because you know. I mean, I I I always had a view that I was going to play with my dad. Um, that was my way, and whatever else happened, it, it w would happen as well. You know, like playing with mates and stuff like that, but. I was I I was very proud of him being a 
professional musician and and he and he said to be a professional musician you have to read and so it, it was part of my learning the whole thing really and as you quite rightly said it set me up to be to do end up where i am now but i mean you know some people don't read at all and they are, are amazing they've their music has 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 visited them in a different way and and um i found myself sometimes sitting in amongst all my great friends ian thomas neil and all the rest of it uh and thinking god if i didn't read i wouldn't be i wouldn't <laughs> be being roasted so badly <laughs> you know uh i remember me and me and neil did angry birds 2 the movie <laughs> and it was so hard it was so hard that it, actually we we had we said look neil you do your bit first because he was playing i think he was playing in seven four and i was playing in cut common over the top of it but so they were like fighting each other and it was cartoon music so it's and it's all cut to the picture and it was just such a night nightmare that we could only do it. We were, it was just me and him in the studio, but we actually said, uh, uh, "Let's let's just do this separately, otherwise we're never going to get it." You know. So uh, yeah, that, well, that's the, that's. I mean, I'm not moaning about being on a film session, believe me, because they're very lucrative and uh, lots of fun, uh, very musically rewarding. But that's your if if you. I remember Will Lee said once he said when they said what do you think about reading gigs he said well you, if you if you people know you can read they book you for for reading gigs so you're going to get roasted you know and I know <laughs> one or two guitar players who keep very quiet about their sight reading abilities because they don't want to be in that arena do you know what I mean even though they can read yeah yeah it's it's one of those things I mean but as you say, it's so rewarding to, to have a, a roast and get through it. Well, it is, it is indeed. But I mean, there is the other side to the coin where I've worked with people who are intimidated by artists who are intimidated by your ability to write things down, and they freak out because they what they do is transfer their own inability. And I'm not going to use it as an. It's not going to say inability because it's it. It's only where the music comes off the page is that's what happens is is when the music's played doesn't matter how you arrive at it um because i know i know i did a session this the late, latest thing i did with florence the machine ian thomas couldn't do it so uh a, another drummer came in who was the drummer in florence's boyfriend's band <laughs> and he turned he turned up and we'd already done this track once and let the the tv film company said we we need it's great but we need this part to go slower this bit here da 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 da, da. so i've written i'd written a part out from this from the session before so i just turned up and i and me and leo abraham's a guitar player we're scribbling little notes and all that and this drummer came in and he had it within he didn't write one thing down and he was completely on it and he played fantastic art uh, and he was because and it he doesn't use that side of his brain if you write something down, it goes to, I don't know whether it's, what is it, right or left brain. Um, but, and, uh, you know, he just, it just goes straight in and out, which I, I'm envious of. I'm absolutely and utterly envious of because I don't get to do that very often, you know. I mean, sessions are uh, of a finite time and you have to be on it and able to play it. And the way, the easiest way of doing that is for somebody to write it down for me. 
but if I go and I mean, the, actually, one of the reasons Florence really likes me and Ian and Leo Abrahams, she calls us the assassins, quite, which is, <laughs> she says, you lot come in, and she said, it's not like working with my band. She, she said, uh, she says, uh, you just do what I tell you to do, it, and and he, you do it, and it's fantastic, and you're in and out, and she sings live, so it's this, it, and the only way to do that is not for her to, somebody to teach us the tune, you know what I mean? You you have a uh, a rough demo of something, and, and you write it down, and you're ready to go. That and that's that's the upside of that, you know. Yeah, it's it's the totally the the way to do it, and I mean, get sort of while we're in this area, I mean. I think the first time I met you properly was at the RCM Festival of Percussion that time. Oh uh, yeah, okay, when yeah. You were there with, uh, with Neil, with Neil, and yeah, yeah. half half of the James Morrison band. That's right, yeah. Doing uh, doing a, a, a groove workshop, I think it was, and um, I distinctly remember some of the some of the stuff you said there about the relationship between bass and drums, and yeah, let's yeah. maybe get into that a little bit. Because I think Neil said he says, you know, he he could have spoke for half an hour about how how you know a bass player wants to find a drummer, but why bother when you can get you there to say it in ten <laughs> seconds? <laughs> well, Neil and myself have great conversations because if I'm pretty analytical about things and I know why why great bass players, natural bass players, why it's great. And I could talk for hours. I'm nothing compared to Neil Wilkinson, who, who, is, who is unbelievably analytical. And and it, I have amazing conversations with him. We talk about, the, I mean, if you, well, you know, if you get him going, there's there's That's no it. stopping, yeah. is there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Hello, Neil's brilliant to play with. Oh my god, what a what a drummer. What an amazing, amazing drummer. You know. Well, you yeah, know, so... you've sat you've sat and listened to him enough times, you know. Oh yeah. But um so yeah, from your point of view, where where do you sort of see that relationship between a drummer and a bass player? And you know, obviously, you know, you know when you're when you're sat next to a good drummer. Yeah. Probably within four bars. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's funny because I, I I work with certain, as you know, I work with all all, all the great drummers, studio drummers and drummers in London, um, and they're all fantastic for completely not completely different reasons, but they bring their own groove. And I think perhaps why, if they do like playing with me, it's because I can spot what they're really good at, and I can play with them. Because I think, you know, whereas, yeah, sure, it's bass and drums, but drums make me sound expensive. I make drums sound greasy and nasty because, you know, and because I put the grease around this, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, it's weird. I, I don't I don't really want to think about it because I just do it. But yeah. there's, they're completely, everybody's different. I mean, I played two gigs at Ronnie's with Ralph Salmons and I hadn't played with him for six months. And me and Ralph have a special vibe because we've worked so much together over the over the years, Annie and Thomas, you know. And then I did two nights with Ash, did Hamish Stewart's band at the 606. And we've played together so often, all these guys, that it's 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 a joy, you know. So, but there we're we're playing with each other. There's not anyone leading. And and, it, and something I've had experience with, especially when I used to do West End shows, where there'd be a young drummer coming 
um, to depth for Ralph or whoever was doing or Neil. Um, and they'd come in and they'd do a really good job. And, it, and I, on the fourth time they came, come in, I, I, I have said to people, I've gone up and said, well, I'm always, I'm always very encouraging, however they've played anyway, but, that you know, they've all done their homework, played great, you know, and da-da-da-da-da. Um, and I always say so after their first one and their second one and their third one. And I, I have said in the past, after their fourth one, I've said, I'm not going to tell you it's good anymore, right, because it's really good. And I said, but don't don't listen to me so much because I can hear them trying to play with me and I'm and it, it's like the percentage has to be it's so equal that it can then not be equal does that make sense it's like you've got to forget about that you're not playing with you're just I've been in this situation when I when I played it had a day recording with Steve Gadd I, I drove to the session I was I was very reticent shall we say and I thought well you're either going to go and play music or you're going to just turn around and go home because it's that you know he's he wants to play with you he wants to play make music with you don't you can't go oh oh i'm playing with steve gad it's amazing you can't nancy about you've got you've got to get your part together you know uh and that's happened quite a few times over my life uh quite quite a few times over my life and you you just have to be bring something to it you know I think that's that's the thing so in terms of playing with a new drummer it's awful if my reputation has come before me and that affects somebody somebody's playing mm. do you see what I mean I'm not yeah, saying yeah. I'm a big deal but I've just been around for ages and I'm pretty gregarious and <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it's all give and take, I suppose, it, and yeah. that's the way that a, a rhythm section should be. It shouldn't be all one side or all the other. You've got to have that balance yeah. of of supporting. You yeah. know, you you you're just two legs supporting the band. Yeah, and you've got to keep those keep yeah, those yeah. you know as as balanced as you can. And you know, you might hear something they do and go, "Oh, that was really you know." really yeah. happening and they'll yeah. do the same with you you know yeah 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 but but i mean yeah, i it i always go back to the great rhythm sections you know and and try and and give my respect to them and then i'm humble in their sight because i mean you know the great you listen to bernard purdy and chuck rainey n neither of them would take any prisoners at all do they <laughs> they just go they go carving through and i bet they've had i bet they uh, maybe no I, I, I don't know i'm fantasizing but i can't imagine they get on really well or even though they've played together forever because they're so ornery they're they're both of their their grooves are so dominant aren't they mm. you know but yeah. in the middle of it this music comes out and it's and then you put all the greatness on top you know amazing i mean yeah if you if you think of steve gadd and anthony jackson playing together um two completely distinct voices um playing their own way absolutely their own way but it sounds incredible doesn't it yeah, oh, yeah. i think even goes even you know further back same with hal blaine and carol Kay. yeah yeah you know you're getting exactly that same thing of they're so such dominant players yeah, but they knew exactly, sort of what, what was right for the song, yeah. ir irrespective of what each other was doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Respect Almost. for the music. Obviously, doing sessions with uh, 
Steve Gadd is a, a particular sort of career highlight for you, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who are some of the other sort of uh, other pl- uh, either people you've worked for uh, in the studio or um, projects you've worked on um, or people you've worked with that uh, that sort of jumped to the top of the of, of the tree of, of sort of career highlights for you? Okay, so previous to the time I worked with Steve Gadd, about 19, I guess 1986, I started doing lots of sessions, 1985, 86, loads and loads and loads. Of there were loads of sessions around. And, and um, I, my experience was, was growing, you know what I mean? Um, and being less scared and gaining more experience in all sorts of places. And, but I, in 1987, I started working with Van Morrison. That was fantastic. That was my first kind of sort of pop gig. Well, he's not really pop music, is he, Van? (laughs) But uh, the experience wise doing Glastonbury and all that, that was amazing. Then I worked with everything but the girl, um, which came about from doing a reading reading session, actually. Uh, and they are a pop at band. And I was replacing a bass player who came in and uh, upset, not upset them, but they didn't like his attitude. He was too session musician, if if you know what I mean. And I, I came in on a Saturday morning. The, uh, uh, Steve Sibyl, or it might have been Neil and Steve Sibyl, were on the brass section the day before with the bass player. Anyway, they gave Robin Miller, who was knighted in the New Year's Honours, actually, Sir Robin Miller, Sade's producer. He was producing the session. Um, and I turned up and I did a good job. And that's the first time I worked for the fixer, Isabel Griffiths, as well. So it was a massive whammy, treble whammy. Because I started, I started working for Robin Miller, and I started working for Everything But the Girl, and I started working for Isabel Griffiths, all on one Saturday morning um, session. Um, so that was really good. Um, and then from then on, I worked with Everything But the Girl, went on tour with them, and then I did it in 1992. I did a TV series with Tom Jones, and that was a big learning curve because as I ended up playing with Stevie wonder on that show, uh, every week we it was like a six part series up in Nottingham. And every week there'd be the chieftains came on Bob Geldof, Cindy Lauper. Uh, and then Al Jero turned up and he bought his, uh, he bought Neil Larson on keyboards with him. And we were to play his, um, latest single. And, I'm a massive, I was a massive Al Jarreau fan when I was a kid, long before he did all those albums that everyone knows. I, I, I heard him when he had Abel Burrell on, there's a great live album called Look to the Rainbow that I had when I was like 17 or 16, 17. Uh, so I was a massive fan and he walked in and he, was, he wasn't unfriendly, <laughs> but he... <laughs> We, the whole band were there. It was a great band, really great band. Gary Wallace on drums, Jody Linscott on uh, percussion, various other people. Um, and he goes, "Okay, what do you? What are we going to play this?" 
and we and Gary Wallace was the MD. He said, "Yeah, well, we've got it together, Al." You know, he said, "Okay, well, let's hear it." So we start the intro, and he just sat sat down like that, and we had to play the whole tune. He didn't sing; he played it, and then we finished. We we had a little ending for it. We finished it, and he went, "Okay, play it again." So we had to play it again. <laughs> And uh, we played it, and then he sang with us, and it, he was great. He was absolutely great. Uh, and I came, I, I, I came out, and I thought, God, I've gone up a level here. I've gone up a level because I've, I've actually existed musically with one of my great heroes, and I've overcome kind of um, the in orbit. You know what I mean? And then, of course, the, two weeks later, Stevie Wonder walks in, and that, we, that was another test as well, you know, because we came, we, we came through. But uh, So you learn that sort of thing. But over the years, anyway, that's 1992. Then 93, early 93, Ben Watt from Everything But The Girl phones up and says, I've got a session for you. Do you want to do it? I said, yes. He said, it's at Livingston Studios. Uh, Phil Ramone's producing, and Steve Gadd is on drums. And I went, okay, I think I can do that. <laughs> Wow. and that was again i was kind of just going up up my and I'll, I'll use the word bottle let's let's use the word bottled we you're, you're testing your bottle aren't you you know and i and i've told this story a few times but it, i used to live in east Finchley in north london and livingston is in wood green it was about a 10 minute drive and i remember driving to to livingston to the steve gad phil ramon everything but the girl session we we're going to do two tunes written my part out and uh and tried to you know whatever and i and i call it the steve gad roundabout and it's just by alley alley valley t uh train station and there's a roundabout and i was <laughs> laughing because I, it was gonna it was so enormous going to play with steve gad you know and i thought well it was what i was saying earlier on i can either just turn around and go home or i can or go around the roundabout and go back or i can go and take this on and of course i took it on and uh he was absolutely charming and and again it was just well it, it's so comfortable isn't it if i mean you know without blowing my trumpet i have fairly a fairly good groove and good time and steve gads only going to make me sound much better isn't he? Yeah. you know what i mean so and, it, and so it was and we did two tracks and they came out and they were both hit singles and it was and i'll play i work with uh, Phil Ramone a few times after that and he was fantastic telling such amazing stories you can't stop him I mean he he's unbelievable unbelie because he's done it he did everything Phil Ramone as an engineer Ray Charles Frank Sinatra and all Barbara Streis and all those Paul Simon albums and loads of work with Gad you know and uh, he'd be saying hey Gad you remember that time and Gad would look up and go Things were kind of crazy back then, Phil, because <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't remember because they were very out of it, weren't they? A lot, of, yeah. a lot oh, of the yeah. time in that time, you must have seen that drum hang. Yeah, uh, the Steve Gadd drum hang where where he, he comes in and listens to the Asia, you know, and he doesn't remember doing it. I think he's just completely out of it. Yeah, but well, I mean, still... they all were, and and some of them yeah. didn't. Some some of them didn't make it, did they? You know, I mean, uh, you know, there's people like uh, Michael Brecker and Will Lee, uh, Steve Peroni. They all got clean, and and they're very fortunately we still have them. You know, and Steve Gadd. I mean, what I, I don't know. Is he is he eighty? Is he eighty? I think he's in, in his seventies. 
Right. Definitely. I don't think he's he's eighty yet, but um I did I did a few sessions for Rick Taylor. You remember Rick Taylor, Tom Bumper? Yeah, yeah. I did uh, Rick Taylor's album. Uh well I was in that, that band. It's called uh First Circle with Adrian Tilbrook on drums well, and yeah. Paul Flood. And uh, me me and Rick, yeah, yeah. We recorded at Strawberry, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Rick Taylor, another one, another one I did some sessions for because I was in I was in Nigel with Rick Rick. So uh that that's my uh, connection there, you know. But yeah, yeah. So I was just wondering sort of coming up to the last few years and obviously the whole pandemic and everything, how that affected the music industry and a lot of musicians haven't come back from it. And I wondered with you doing so much session work, how or if uh, those kind of two years affected what you do, or did you start doing more at home? Or uh, well, I, d- I started doing at home because I didn't do it before. Uh, I've had logic uh, in my existence for God knows fifteen years or something, and I used to write library music uh, occasionally, but it's something I don't really like doing. I don't do, I like doing it on my own, composing it on my own. It's always. If I've ever done written any any music, it's always been with somebody else. So there's been a bit of vibe going on. So I hadn't done it for years and years. Then I moved house to here, and everything was in boxes. And and the the pandemic was looming. And I thought this doesn't look good at all, you know. So I thought. And then I got a call from Steve Lipson, the record producer, who said, "Can you do this album?" A, a remote album can you do remote recording i've got this thing with gareth malone and i went well it's in steve it's in boxes and i haven't got it, i haven't used it for 10 years he went oh i'm gonna have to move on then you know so i thought i've got to get this together so i i said i phoned ralph salmon's son lester do you know lester i know uh, him. yeah 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 fantastic engineer um who i've known since he was sort of this high uh so i said lester come over man you got to come over and, and see what i've got and whether I, I need to buy anything because I've just lost an album and I think we're all going to be shut in our houses. So he came over and he said, no, this will be all right. This will be all right. Yeah, yeah, you can keep that. You keep that. And within half an hour, I was sending him a bass track over email. I mean, it was a massive learning curve and it still is, by the way. But within, within I mean, all my work went, the studios closed down, although they did, to be fair, open open up during the pandemic it was just under like unbelievable conditions the first session i did for florence and the machine they sent a, a, a doctor from harley street to my house in waltham abbey and he tested me on the driveway of my of my on my driveway in like you know this ludicrous mask and the gloves and everything and i had to wait for it to be negative and then i could go and do it god knows how much it costs he sent a private doctor from Harley Street. It, was, it must have been three times what I was getting for the session. That's, yeah. that's for sure. But anyway, I got into the, the remote recording bit, and within weeks, I was I was doing library albums because everyone's freaking out. You know, everyone's going, "Oh my god, we got to get this done. We got to do this." I was doing jingles, and uh, I was busy. I was absolutely busy. And in fact, I did uh the first cue of cruella the disney movie one in one in my pajamas <laughs> in my house on the phone to nick Bratell in new york it was brilliant it was totally brilliant so uh, i did loads and loads of it and um not so much now that the studios are open but i enjoyed it in fact i i must say 
I like the idea of doing it in your own at your own pace because I'm I'll, listen I I grew up when I when you were a session musician or studio musician as it's called now it's been session musician has been <laughs> purloined by your you your your generation to be a freelance musician anyway studio musician um uh when I first started being a studio musician you, I was sitting next to like old trumpet players and you had to get it right first time the, the you know you ran through it once and there were like loads and loads of tunes and you it, and they weren't going to stop for you so I've, i trained myself to be that efficient you know um and when that was sort of take put into my own house and i could i i did a, a set uh, an album for clem clemson guitar player um and he'd send me a track a day with a little part uh, a demo tape and I'd play it and then I'd go, no, I can do better than that and play better than that. And sometimes it took me like a day and a half and it was sort of like being in, I don't know, a rock band in the seventies, you know, you, you go and you could consider it and then put it up and think how that's sitting. And, and I was, I found I was using all my experience of playing in the studio with a drummer, but you know, the care you take over the middle eight here or, you know, and I've got all my bases here, and I've got a lovely uh, valve amp and stuff. So you're getting what you get anyway a DI and a and a mic sound. I played double bass here, so I was doing it. It sort of became this kind of considered thing rather than ten to one. We got five tracks to do, and actually all of us are going. Oh, come and get that. That no, that was good. That was good. Not that we skimp on quality or anything, but you you fit what you're expected to do in the three hours. All of a sudden, you could do do what you like, and it and it was very liberating, and I, I enjoyed that. Taking much more care over my own sound, because people, some people, sometimes I would like. I mean, I have been known to say, "No, let's do another one. We've got to do another one." And people go, "No, I like that." I said, "No, no, let's just do another one." And if you don't like it, keep the one before. You know, I'm rhythm section players of my generation. We do that. We take. We kind of police it because. I don't like letting things go, you know, and, and me or whoever the drummer is, we generally police things and we're we're in people's faces about, no, hang on a minute, we're a bit early there. Can you just move that, you know, and we're, because we're logic users. So, um, so uh, it was good. I mean, it, listen, I did, I did uh, another exciting thing I did last year was I, I actually played on a, a track with JR, JR Robinson. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, Chris Standring, who I used to play in his band when he was in London, and I've known him for hundreds of years, uh, he said, oh, "I've got I'm producing a track for Tom Rotella, who's a guitar smooth jazz guitar player. Uh, I've got uh, JRs on drums. You'd sound fantastic on this." I went, "Fantastic!" So I, he sent it over, and I've got I've got a whole song of one of JR playing at one twenty BPA. It's fantastic. It was fantastic because again. I'll put that up and I've got a part there. It's a little groovy little song, nothing hard to play, but I I, I reveled in taking it. It took me like two and a half days because I was going, no, no, I want, I want to play that. I want to play. Mm-hmm. It was such a vibe playing, playing his, his vibe. I mean, I wish I could play, play it to you, but it's so JR and he's playing nothing until absolutely nothing. And he plays like sort of half a feel. And I was just, myself laughing because it was so glorious and to sit in with that and they were all very pleased and very you know and there'll be he said there'll be some more so that's a thrill the thrilling part of 
of I mean, you know, I wouldn't get to play unless he came over here. I, I'm not going to play with JR, you know. I mean, I've played with my fair share of fantastic drummers because they do come over, you know. <laughs> 